welcome to the Health Tech Podcast. Here we talk about everything healthcare and technology, and I'm your host, James Summeroo. Hey everybody, this week's episode is about sales in health tech, and my guest is Kyle Gatti. He describes himself as a simple salesman who's been fortunate enough to be inspired by some great people and to have nurtured a passion for healthcare that has turned into a stubborn belief that we can all be empowered to do more to care for our health. So for over the past decade, Kyle's helped healthcare organizations through innovations in digital health, population health, tech, data and analytics. And he's been on a journey that's seen him move from corporate to scale-ups to focus on digital health and achieve tangible patient impact. He's currently the commercial director for Joint Academy, where he's leading its launch in the UK. And Joint Academy itself is a digital clinic for chronic joint pain that's treated over 35,000 patients in its native Sweden and is backed by an impressive science and evidence base, including a recent first-of-its-kind RCT study comparing digital care with traditional face-to-face for osteoarthritis patients in the UK. So as I say, this is all about sales this week. So uh, yeah, learned some cool stuff. So I hope you enjoy it. Kyle, welcome to the Health Tech Podcast. How are you doing, mate? Yeah, I'm very well, thank you. And thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. You're very welcome, sir. Uh, obviously, we know each other a little bit, don't we? We've uh, spoken on Clubhouse. We've spoken yeah, now on this podcast, but possibly in another format or ether or um or place who knows but um i'm excited to get you on man because we've we've spoken a little bit about sales in health tech before it's a really interesting topic it's one of those topics that's a bit almost like not pejorative but it's, it's two words that often don't sit comfortably with each other sales and health tech especially from or well, healthcare particularly you know i'm a clinician by background and you know it's it's very kind of what's well, it's a public sector health system isn't it you don't often get privy to where things are bought and where things are sold and the fact that there is a market behind all of it and there is money moving and it can feel quite uncomfortable particularly for clinicians so I'm really excited to get to get into this with you but before we do whereabouts are you speaking to us from today so I am in sunny Birmingham today Oh, excellent. Is that at home? Is that in the office? It's at home, which is the office. <laughs> for me, as for everybody. Oh, absolutely. And roll on. What is it? Something of June when uh, when we can all get out. Yeah. Um, but listen, man, it'd be good to kick off by just talking about talking about you and your background, <clears throat> what you do, how you got here. Sounds good to me. So I am a simple salesman. And I say that with a degree of pride. You know, I've just been really fortunate to uncover and nurture a passion for healthcare and to get really excited about the opportunities that are out there to help people live happier and healthier lives. So, you know, I think that that for me is hugely important. And that that marks me out in that well. I wouldn't say marks me out that, you know, that's something I'm really fortunate of. I've spent the last decade in healthcare sales from corporates to startups across technology, service outsourcing, uh, data and analytics and population health management solutions, and latterly digital health. And I think that's really brought me on a journey to uh, to be as close to the patient as I possibly can be and to really sort of, um, you know, uh, strive towards that objective of helping individuals. Um, but it's, you know, I haven't always been in healthcare um, and I certainly didn't find myself in healthcare sales by designs, uh, by design. Um, I cut my teeth in sales roles that included furniture retail, door to door for the gas boards, um, and then the motor trade. Um, and you know, whilst in the motor trade, I, yeah, I suppose had my first piece of good fortune and met the leader of a sales organisation. Uh, sorry, met the leader of an organisation that was in the process of taking their business out of the public sector and into the private sector. So this was a an, an NHS collaborative procurement hub in the Midlands, um, and it had recently uh, been taken over by Hospitals Corporation of America. And with that came the need to take a more 
customer focused approach recognizing that they're no longer part of the nhs club and therefore things change but you know i like to think that um the chief executive organization recognized something in me and you know conversely he was able to really light a fire inside me and begin me on that journey and and begin to develop that passion that i've now got uh for healthcare so i certainly credit him with you know with that initial with that initial break and you know with the journey or at least some of the journey that has followed in subsequent years so i was there for about three and a half years and in that time i you know i embarked on uh, education so i left school at the age of 18 and despite being you know very fortunate um and privately educated i decided against going to university which was absolutely not the done thing um and you know whilst my mum fully supported it that was not the case for the school but i wasn't ready <laughs> i had no idea what i wanted to do i just Good went and did what i was comfortable doing and that was speaking to people and listening to people and and getting to understand what makes people tick which I think has been a you know a, a theme throughout but in the back of my mind there was always that right I need to go and tick that box tick that education box so um I I did that and you know alongside that I you know really began to um spend you know a lot more time and, and give a lot more effort to developing my understanding of healthcare of the healthcare system and you know understand how it worked why it was important and you know and recognize both the good and, and the bad within it um following that i uh, moved across to an organization called optum optum a part of united health group huge us insurer um, and optum is their healthcare services technology data arm so very much an organization that was set up it originally to support United Healthcare as an insurer, but then grew to you know to the point where it supported multiple other insurers and you know other healthcare systems internationally. And with within Optum, I you know I, I was fortunate to be exposed to big ideas, big minds, really smart people, and surround myself with these individuals and these ideas and gain exposure to healthcare at the macro level so thinking about healthcare as a system and how you know the various parts come together and how organizations and individuals interact with one another across the system and i think that um you know was was really useful in terms of it you know furthering and enhancing my knowledge my understanding and ultimately guiding my passion i realized after time that whilst this was really important i was a long way away from where healthcare actually happened and you know i think that drive individually to be healthier to be happier to understand what i could do for myself coincided with a realization that there were countless opportunities out there to support people to make small positive changes to you know to put in place and utilize technology that assisted individuals to ultimately take more control of their health you know i think it's it's well well said and you know often repeated but we've become really good at fixing people but we're not very good at preventing people from you know getting to a point where they need fixing and for me that just feels like the, the greatest opportunity and it's it's what gets me out of bed and gets me excited in the morning so from there i then started to proactively seek out opportunities to you know to play my part in organizations doing just that and you know, digital healthcare for me was absolutely where i wanted to be so um i joined an organization called dockley dockley were a swedish organization uh, that provided digital primary care services um unfortunately they were on the wrong side and with the wrong proposition um come covid um uh but from there and you know sticking with the uh, swedish connections i was able to transition to my current organization joint academy awesome what a journey i i have a, a question so i think there's a lot of entrepreneurs that listen to this and there's a lot of people that want to become entrepreneurs that listen to this and, and feedback to me. I think sales is one of those things that if you're going to be an entrepreneur, you need to be able to sell because at the, at the very least you're selling yourself. You're then selling your product. You need to grow a team. You need to sell the thing. You need to create a business, right? So sales is kind of fundamental to being able to launch your own business now i 
have learned this too in in my business with Sonex. I just have never had any kind of official sales training or course or any kind of, I do it all instinctively, I guess. And I think what I've learned is that I can only sell something when I believe in it. I I have to sell something based on evidence and data, which is partly my personality, but partly also my evidence-based nature as a clinician. I kind of only believe people are going to buy something if there's good evidence behind it. And so that's just how I've generally done it. I think there's different ways to sell. There's different types of salespeople. What do you think is the best way to sell something? What what makes you a good salesperson or indeed what makes anybody a good salesperson? Is it simply a genuine belief that what they're selling is good or is there a skill set behind it? I mean, you mentioned your curiosity in people. I think probably the ability to read people's up there. Talk to me about sales in general. What makes a good salesperson? So I think you're not a million miles wider the mark when you say it needs to be something that you believe in. You know, for me, it has to be something that excites me. I have to be able to go out there and talk to others about it with genuine enthusiasm and passion. Hmm. And if I can't do that, then it becomes more superficial. It's much harder to convey and to convince others that what you're selling is a value, is going to solve their problems, is right for them. And I think, you know, you're right. Sales is something that founders have to do. Um, Sales, in fact, is something that everybody does and everybody should be proud of doing so, whether it's going and speaking to a member of the opposite sex in a bar or trying to raise money from, you know, a VC company. It it doesn't matter. That's It's all part and parcel of, you know, putting a message out there, doing so with a degree of confidence and addressing the desires, concerns, you know, or whatever it may be of the person or persons to which uh, you're selling. However, to say that, well, let me put it this way. Everyone's a footballer, but not everyone plays in the Premier League. Mm. And the difference there is training and commitment and practice. And all of these elements are really, really important. So I think, you know, everybody can and everybody should. And there is an opportunity for everybody to improve the way in which they sell themselves, their business, their product, whatever it may be. But there is absolutely a set of processes and behaviors and practices that um, can be practiced and refined and improved by people who pursue sales as a profession and you know I say I introduce myself somewhat flippantly as a simple salesman you know I'm well aware that there is a perception out there that you know salespeople they're kind of like a necessary evil we need them probably at some point but I think I could do it myself so you know I'll just stick it doing it myself. Have you seen white gold by any chance you know it's it's a program on tv where it's it's kind of like a it's a, it's a comedy about um it's got a couple of dudes from the in-betweeners and stuff it's the um upvt yeah, yeah the windows yeah. the wind the, the windows yes. the double glazing salesman I oh my indeed. god that's that's kind of the perception of salespeople, right it's kind of like dell boy wheeler dealer Exactly that. Exactly that. And, you know, it's something that I'm not going to shy away from. You know, I like to tell people that I've been a car salesman. <laughs> I've, I've knocked doors for the gas board. But I've bounced <laughs> up and down on beds in the showroom to sell them, you know, because actually there's a really valuable set of skills that I learned and have been learning from the age yeah. of 18 and probably before that. But, you know, professionally refining these skills as a salesperson, I think that's very much part of what I offer to any organization that employs me is that experience and that broad understanding of what sales as a profession looks like. Mm-hmm. So I do think that from a, you know, from a point of view of a founder, from an entrepreneur's point of view, recognizing that there is absolutely a period of time in which you have to be, you know, front and center, leading the charge. You are the sales lead for yourself and for your organization. You know, why would you not go and seek to enhance um, your skills and your comfort in doing so? Um, But then recognizing there comes a point as with, you know, multiple other functions within an organization, because we could be talking about finance or marketing or a another you know there's a point in time where you have to do it all but then there's a point in time where you you know 
you bring in experts, you bring in people with the experience and the knowledge and the skill sets that are better suited and better um, developed in order to achieve those objectives. So yes, it is very much something that can be trained. It's something that I think, you know, sales professionals would do well to, and I don't think this is, you know, universally um, adopted, but salespeople do really well to practice it more often and mm -hmm. to go out of their way to seek training um, or to, you know, to attempt to um, practice, refine and improve their own skills like you would in any other profession in any other role. Yeah, I suppose based on what you're saying, you, you then don't know the effect that that will then have on the rest of your life. Because as you say, we're selling quite a lot. I talk, I talk about this a, a, quite a few times on here. You know, I can remember being a clinician and having to knock on the radiologist's door and you have to try and convince them that your patients deserve to be scanned first. And so, you know, you might be quite selective in the parts of the history that you say and don't say. Yeah. And ultimately, you might have built a relationship with that radiologist prior based on any number of things, either solving a problem for them, perhaps being honest with them previously. It could be anything, right? That means that you've built that relationship. You're more likely to make your sale. You're more likely to get that thing done. There's not one way of doing it. And different people will use different elements of their personality to get the thing done. But ultimately, you know, I can remember if, uh, if Carth, Dr. Carthigan is listening, the guy who I did my F1 training with, my fellow F1 colleague, uh, he was the guy. He was the guy. You, you, wanted, you wanted a patient scan. You sent, you sent Carth because he was just going to get it done. Goodness knows how, and he's a radiologist now. So <laughs> there's something in there. But um, yeah, there's just an element of, of him being really good at that. And, and I think that's a really important point. There is certainly a personality type and a, you know, a natural tendencies that I think lend themselves to being a successful salesperson. You know, um, yeah, from a very early age, I was wheeling and dealing, hustling, trying to sell my <laughs> friends sweets. You know, I'd, I'd get I'd get taken to the cash and carry by my parents, and then go to school and try and sell sweets. Sure. You know? uh, lots of kids do it. Sure. You know, I think that's probably an early sign that says, hey, wait a minute here. You recognize mm. that you can go out there and you can, you know, you can. Well, it's the classic entrepreneur skill set as well, isn't it? The the want and the desire and the enjoyment from doing that. Yeah. And I think the enjoyment's a really important piece. Do you do you get positive energy from your interaction with others, with strangers? Mm. Do you enjoy some of the friction and the challenge and the unknowns that exist when you begin that interaction and are you comfortable not you know not knowing exactly how an interaction will play out and and you know i suppose any one-to-one -one interaction regardless of where it takes place in life there is a misalignment in terms of uh, information you know um in sales, that's usually true. You've got two different individuals who are coming at something from a completely different angle. There are organizational and personal motivations. There are personalities that need to, you know, be, I hesitate to say aligned because I don't think we should be mm. seeking to artificially align personalities. But nevertheless, you need to work out how, as two individuals or a room full of individuals, you interact with one another and what that looks like. Um, and from there, you can then start to build that, you know, foundation of trust and respect that, you know, is often, you know, cited as being so important. It's, but that's, there's no magic wand to that. You don't, sure. you, you don't just go in there and you know provide a slick presentation go oh well they can solve a problem therefore i trust them that's yeah. it, it's not that straightforward yeah and i think it's a, a lot of good points you make and my mind goes to the fact that like you said before not, not everybody's going to be a natural there are going to be some naturals that that is what they do they are going to be the natural salespeople. particularly i'm talk talking about entrepreneurs here that will have to do that one way or another and going back to to what you know your initial points training doing it a lot finding ways to learn the principles there's a book i've got getting to yes which i thought was quite good um i don't know if you know it but yeah i think resources like that ways of doing it if you're not a natural salesperson which i didn't believe i was it just turns out that i had been doing it quite a lot all of my life and i picked up certain ways and and of doing it but i also knew myself therefore i know 
kind of how to do that um, based on my own personality, what makes me comfortable. But let's talk about Joint Academy. Um, let's. I'm interested in, I suppose, what what is it? What do you guys do? But particularly for you, I suppose, who's the customer and how do you sell to them? Yeah, so Joint Academy is a digital clinic providing evidence-based first-line treatment for chronic joint pain. So we tackle pain and improve physical function. In doing so, we improve the lives of individuals with osteoarthritis of the hip and knee, uh, soon to be lower back pain, shoulder, and so that spectrum of chronic joint pain that affects so many and has such a negative impact on the lives of those who suffer from it. So we offer patients unlimited access to physiotherapists through both uh, a regular cadence of structured consultations, either via video or telephone, uh, plus um, asynchronous communication, so message-based communication. So I, as a patient, can you know send a message at 11 p.m. to my physio saying, hey, I don't understand this exercise that I've got or I'm experiencing pain and the next morning when the physio is on when their physio is on they would respond back and say well have you tried x y and z um, alongside that there is a personalized and tailored exercise program so this adapts to uh, the individual's progression and um, the ease with which they're able to complete that condition specific program of exercises and really importantly educational materials content and a little bit of testing to verify information and this is very much you know uh, designed to empower people with the knowledge that's necessary to understand their condition and to tackle some of the misconceptions you know joint pain is just an inevitable part of getting older there's nothing I can do about it well that's simply not the case there is a lot that can be done about it or my knee hurts I should probably just ride out until I can get a place on the waiting list and have a joint replacement. So, you know, I think we are, you know, hugely effective in tackling uh, both the physical and some of the, you know, the, the mental or the, the sort of the knowledge aspects um, of, of chronic joint pain. Um, the platform is used by tens of thousands of individuals a week for a Swedish organization founded in 2014. Um, we've seen, you know, uh, exponential growth in Sweden over recent years and have subsequently launched in uh, the US in 2019 and now in the UK last year. So we're very much at the beginning of uh, the UK journey, but we have a real um, wealth of science and evidence sat behind us. So we're an organization with a focus on science. We have have multiple peer-reviewed studies published published peer-reviewed studies um, we've recently um, been involved with no that's not true um, <laughs> let me let me rephrase that um, joint academy has recently been used um, as part of an independently conducted randomized control trial in this space that has proven the efficacy of digital treatments for uh, osteoarthritis of the knee so so we've got a really strong foundation um, you know as we enter the UK market so um, certainly a lot to build on how on earth do you enter the UK market because obviously something like that you know a clinic and digital clinics however you want to describe it there's there's a lot of different people that can pay there's a lot of different people that will pay there's a lot of people that won't pay and organizations and different ways of doing it public sector private sector individual b2c there's lots of different ways that you could approach this so who, who are you selling to so as an organization we recognize that you know publicly funded healthcare in the UK is how we build a large, successful, sustainable business. But as you say, that is not the only route to market. And I think one of the key things for me as the commercial lead, as the sales lead for the organization, um, is recognizing that actually we need to be exploring the NHS in its various guises because we can then split that down into a whole host of different routes to market alongside insurance markets alongside employers alongside direct consumer and then prioritizing those and i think for me the key is flexibility we can't yes there's a plan yes i've said these are the priorities this is how we're going to attack that market segment and that's how we'll attack this market segment but um i think 
there's a risk that if um you know if i were to approach this or we were to approach this in an overly rigid manner um we could end up you know heading off down rabbit holes and and getting nowhere so i think you know part of the challenge is balancing the need to try a lot of stuff to engage with a lot of organizations and explore a lot of alternative routes to market whilst recognizing that when when a viable opportunity presents itself and is uncovered that absolutely requires a level of focus and attention to get it across the line and i think you know one of the key things you know, for me, one of the key recommendations and, and you know, piece of advice I would offer to anybody in a similar position is do not find yourself at either of those extremes. You know, if you, you know, if you come to market with a view that there's you know five or six organizations that you want to work with because you know they're prestigious or because you know somebody there or or whatever your reasons may be, and focus all of time your time effort and energy going after those there's a high chance that the timing might not be right the solution may not be right the problem may not yet be sufficiently prioritized and conversely you can't go out there and just focus all of your efforts and attentions on speaking to you know every individual and every type of organization in the hope that you'll luck upon your first contract and your first piece of business. It's somewhere in between the two. And by that, I mean, go and have a range, a, a wide, varied range of conversations with different organizations, understand the range of different problems and how your solution can actually be adapted to meet those problems or indeed you know, how it meets the specific problems of those individuals. And then really focus on the handful of opportunities that um, you feel have, you know, that, that are likely to go somewhere where you have managed to identify a problem. There is a recognition that problem it exists and it needs to be solved as a priority where you've got aligned incentives and, you know, there's nothing, you know, out on the fringes that are competing with it in terms of incentives. I think that's a really important piece for any organization seeking to, to enter the UK market, particularly you know, the NHS is understanding the incentive side of things. And we then come back to, is it an individual with whom you can engage, where you've got, you've managed to develop that level of trust and respect and you can actually work with them. And um, I think, you know, the, those, those factors collectively are really important. In the way that you've answered that, it seemed apparent to me that so much of sales and whether or not you can distribute a percentage to this, I don't know, but it's kind of not as relevant. But my point is there's a lot about the sale, the meeting, the call, the funnel, whatever you want to call it, that is actually in the due diligence of whether that is the right person, organization, even job role, etc. Qualification. Right, qualification. Qualification of an right. opportunity is something that big organizations understand. You know, hmm. go into a huge corporate with a well-established process and they will recognize this qualification. If I've got 10 opportunities and it's going to take me X number of hours to pursue that, and by the way, those hours are a lot, yeah. I need to be really selective and pick the ones that are right. I don't think young organizations necessarily prioritize qualifications or, or qualification or believe that qualification is as valuable at an early stage. And I would challenge that, um, you know, with a sort of, what's the word I'm looking for? I would challenge that with real vigor. I think qualification is important regardless of where you are on that journey because you want to identify the opportunities where you're going to have the most likelihood of success where you and your prospective client are going to be successful and the outcomes are going to be valuable. And that requires challenging yourself because it's really easy to have nice conversations, you know, particularly in this space, particularly when you're an innovator, particularly when you've got something that is shiny and sexy and, and people really want I could go out and find countless individuals who want to talk to me about a cool new way of doing things. 
and they might want to buy, but if they can't buy, they are not at this point in time a viable prospect. They might be an excellent source of information. They might be able to help you refine your proposition to better understand your market, to better understand the organization in which they operate. But focusing on those who can buy rather than those who want to buy is a really important piece. So going back to this idea of training, um, the qualification method, and there are, there are a variety of methodologies out there, but the one that always sticks in my mind, one that I picked up through you know, structured training that I did whilst at Optum, is this idea of four key questions. Is there an opportunity? By which I mean, is there a need? Is there some money available? And is there actually, you know, a, the term used was a compelling event, but some kind of time-stamped event or urgency to do something about it. Next one is, can we compete? Do we actually have a solution that is, you know, in the context of that prospect, competitive? Can we win? Do we have the relationships? Do we have the knowledge? Do we have uh, the organizational fit required to actually win and then finally is it worth winning because let's be clear winning something for the sake of winning it securing business for the sake of securing business is not always the right thing to do and i think again for a younger organization that's really difficult because there's such a desire to secure product market fit to prove that your idea has legs you know but if the first sale doesn't naturally in some way build and lead towards the second and the third you could find yourself coming unstuck very soon because one one contract is not going to create a successful business so if you have you know you know deviated too far from your core proposition from who you are and what you are as an organization in order to secure that one sale and it's now you know it, it it's become a proof point that isn't applicable to the rest of the market then actually that's not worth doing because yes there's some revenue which is attractive to the organization to its investors to you know and there's the ego side of things for both sales leaders and organizational leaders but that doesn't make it the right thing to do and this comes down to qualification you know i want to speak to 100 people to identify 20 opportunities to go after four with real vigor to win one. That's a lot of conversations at that end to get one at the end. But that means that the conversations that we're really going deep into and the relationships and the solutions that we are, you know, building out with, you know, to the greatest extent are those that we believe that I believe are going to be, you know, most closely, well, have the greatest probability of success and be most closely aligned to the organisational's long-term objectives. So in those four questions then, so the first one was, is there an opportunity? The second one's, can we compete? What were the other two? Can we win? Can we win? And is it worth winning? Is it worth, yeah. And that last one, right? Is it worth winning? Let's write these down. That, that for me is absolutely like, I wish I had this framework a few months ago, honestly, but it's true because that articulates a feeling that I have had for quite a long time. And being in the client services game myself, I, I have an instinct for whether something's worth winning or not. And that's normally enough for me because putting words around it though, what you've just said, is it deviating from who we are? Is it deviating from our core proposition? And then the, the other thing that you said, which I liked, was will that contract then lead to more? And I think in, in the game that I'm in with SOMEX and you know with communications and innovation that way, I think if you do a good job, you're going to lead to more of the same. And I think if you've ended up changing your model slightly so that you've got less margin and you, you might end up scaling a business model that doesn't actually work because that's what that's going to lead to and things like that so i i really identify with all of that i think it's so useful and, and on staying really practical because i like this i think in healthcare and sales in healthcare there's a few different types of people or, or well yeah people that you're going to sell to there's patients there's clinicians and I suppose there's 
managers or organizations, whatever you call them. And within that, there's going to be clinical directors, which are a bit of both. There's going to be far, the finance side of things. There's going to be there's going to be lots of different types, right? Could you give me a couple of examples and how you practically approach selling to healthcare? So who, who, for example, in your career or even in your current role, is the the person that you have to do the most convincing for? And how do you do that sale? So I think it's often clinical leads mm. that are I would going, agree. They're most receptive to the idea, to the concept, to the opportunity that is there. They're not necessarily empowered to commission or buy, you know, from a, from a joint academy perspective, ultimately we want to be a commissioned healthcare service. And that requires engaging with, you know, that full spectrum of individual that you've, you've referenced, you know, there are commissioning leads, there are finance leads, there are procurement leads and processes and, and so on and so forth. And these are really important enablers of a sale, but you need the individual that's going to be your mentor, your, your internal advocate. And I don't think we can turn around and say it is one individual based on role or based on, you know, yeah, based, based on the role that they fill in an organization. It is about identifying and, you know, speaking really practically, this is where that element of numbers game game come in and that's why i say we you know we need to recognize that there is both an element of doing a lot of something and trying to push on a lot of doors and speak to a lot of people and that is you know that sales at the fringes of marketing and you know it requires working closely with marketing colleagues and and having an understanding of marketing processes such that we can you know identify where an individual might have interacted with you know, material that we've put out there and demonstrated some kind of appetite to initiate a conversation. And then, you know, back to this idea of qualification, understanding very quickly, you know, what are the individual motivations? What's, what's the objective of this person? Is it because they have professional curiosity? In which case, that's great. Let's understand more about it and let's now understand your role and your influence in a buying process, in the management of the current services that we're looking to improve or replace or, or whatever it may be. Um, it might well be that they are, you know, right at the forefront of innovation and they get really excited by new stuff, but actually they're not currently in a position where they can, you know, really influence and guide and make decisions within that organization. But that's not to say that they're no longer valuable in that process. You know, if they can help you navigate the organization and identify those that you do need to speak to. So I'm a firm believer that no conversation is a bad conversation. Certainly in terms of that initial, you know, hey, can we have 20 minutes, quick coffee? Let's have a chat. Let's, let's, let's understand more about why you might be interested um, and you know, a bit more about you and your role. So I, I'm reluctant to say there is one approach and one person. There is a, there's a framework and there is a, a broader approach that I have adopted and continue to adopt that says, let's start to talk to individuals, let's listen and really understand what, what is motivating their engagement. Because if they want to talk, if they want to spend 15 minutes talking to me, there's clearly some interest you know, and, and, you know, that's valuable and it's something to be celebrated, you know, and I'm a salesperson, I want to speak to people. Um, getting value out of that conversation is important, you know, um, don't just have good conversations, don't just have nice chats because nice chats are not going to help you move forward. It's, yeah, it's about getting beyond the superficial. It's really about doing your homework again, isn't it? Because as you yeah. said, it's finding out what is it that they want what problem is it that you're going to solve for them? And I suppose one thing that I learned, especially trying to get things done when I was a clinician and in the early days of speaking to management to get things done, there was a lot about language that I had to learn. There was a lot about currency. There was a lot about, instead of talking about making patient care better, which, you know, will be at the back of the minds of manager and everybody, right? Really, it was about bed days. And it turns out that as soon as I started speaking in the currency of bed days, 
people started to listen. They were like, you can cut down bed days. How many bed days? Which beds? Are we talking ITU beds? Are we talking HD beds? Are we talking which beds are you going to, you know? And then all of a sudden it's like, right, now here's something we can get on board with, you know? Were you comfortable doing that? Uh, not particularly. It wasn't natural whatsoever. Um, I think that's a really important point because, you know, I think any organization, any solution that is being sold in telecare system has to recognize that there simply isn't, you know, it's not a wash with money. If yeah. you're not going to create a financial efficiency in some way, shape or form, you're not likely to get anywhere. And, you know, following the money around the system and understanding how the interaction between various organizations works and various departments works is absolutely vital. And it is so much more complex than I think people realize when they first say hey i've got a really cool innovation and i'm going to go and sell it into healthcare mm -hmm. actually determining who is going to pay for it and why and then and what's not going to be done as a result from paying for that because there will be something that's not being done and therefore there's a good chance you're going to put somebody's back out and therefore you've now got a misalignment of incentives within that organization so there's so much to be alert to and i think that research piece is exceptionally important because a lot of this can be done behind a desk and you can turn up to that 15 minute coffee quite informed and i think one thing that is often neglected in this space is the fact that these are publicly funded organizations that have a, a high degree of transparency in terms of how they run and you know the activities that they undertake so go through board meetings you know op open up board papers use control f and start to find the words that you're looking for you know there's so much information that can be that can be you know captured and understood from behind a computer screen before you embark upon that interaction. Um, so, you know, secure the interaction, spend some time in advance and, you know, and then fill in the gaps in the knowledge. And, you know, I, I can't remember if we said this earlier or we said it before we started recording, but, you know, absolutely accept and be comfortable with the fact that we don't know everything, you know, mm -hmm. and I think salespeople often fall into this trap of thinking that they should have all the answers. Um, I've never had all the answers and I don't think I ever will have all the answers. And, um, you know, all this changes, I've learned to be comfortable with that rather yeah. than trying to solve it. So, yeah, yeah no, absolutely. And when you, when you are selling to an NHS organization, and as you said, you often go in via the clinical lead and then you'll pass to finance, or you may have gone in by procurement or pass to them. When you're talking to one or perhaps a mixture of all of those people, what are the key bits of the value proposition here that do the job of the sale what are the bits that really make people prick up their ears and listen is it talking about the quality of care increasing is it a mixture of that plus the health economics behind it is it that it's super cheap or that it's not like what 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 are the bits that really work in a sale to an nhs organization so here's my interpretation of my current view on that and i suspect it's probably changed over the years and i suspect <laughs> it will continue to evolve but what matters most is the clinical value the value to the patient the value to that clinical process and the outcome however finance almost becomes your go no go the health economics of it is a binary yes no does it work and by which quite crudely i mean can we derive some kind of financial efficiency as a result of this solution this product this whatever it may be and how on that sorry before we move on on that how important is an in-year saving very more so than it possibly should be mm -hmm. i think the challenge is less the in-year saving and more the you know how does it work in the context of organizational budgets you know right interesting there's okay there's lots and lots of pots of money yeah, uh, these pots are often committed to A, B, C, D, and E. And if I can't release it from a pot because it's already spent, it's already committed, my budget's gone. It might only be May, but I've said, well, actually, that is allocated over there. And then you have to start thinking, well, where are the alternative sources of funding? Do they come from within the organization? Do they come from outside of the organization via? Yeah, myriad options that are often around um, to you know to promote and support innovation um, but yes I think it is less for me I think the, the challenge is less about 
in-year cash release savings certainly in the you know the clinical services realm i think that's probably not true you know if you were selling a medical device but rather the budgets and the implications of you know what what you are proposing on established uh, budget lines very 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 interesting i've ri- i've written the word loculated here because there's there's a term in medicine and apologies for any medics that if I'm butchering this or getting it wrong, but when you have liver failure, you end up with what's called an ascites, like a, a beer belly, basically, um, like a really kind of swollen uh, abdomen full of fluid. And normally, and I think of that as like almost like the budget of a hospital, right? And this is a weird metaphor that this has come to my mind, but I'm just going to educate my audience here on how my psyche works. So I'm kind of thinking of that as the perception of a budget of a hospital or health system. It's enormous. However, what happens in some people is it becomes loculated. It ends up like a honeycomb. And so normally when you stick a drain in, it will just drain the whole thing and you can just tap all the money out essentially of the system. But it sounds to me like one of the biggest challenges here in selling to an NHS organization is those budgets are kind of loculated. You'll stick the drain in, but you're in this tiny one and therefore it doesn't drain. And you're like, how do I get the rest of it out? It's all there, but how do I get it all out? And that's kind of the, the challenge of a gastroenterologist trying to, or a junior gastroenterologist trying to drain an ascites. If it's loculated, you just can't get it out. It feels to me like that's kind of how it feels. I could have spent a thousand years and uh, not arrived at that analogy, but I I like it. Have a look at it. If if I I got that right, anyway, it might come up with something completely rogue, but I believe a loculated ascites is is pretty much how how I'm now going to describe NHS budgets. Um, Very difficult to tap. We we can summarise this with that really sort of... uh, broad term and this is true in all sales but it's you know it's infinitely more complex in healthcare and particularly in the nhs yeah um follow the money follow because the money. you know we might find somebody who wants it you know we might find a really strong incentive to have it but if there isn't the money if it simply can't be unlocked then you need to you then that sales process shifts i'm no longer selling the the product or the clinical solution service, whatever it may be. Now I am enabling and supporting um, a business case or the securing of funds from elsewhere or you know, whatever it may be, whatever is required to enable that purchase. So you can't do that piece first. You can't go to somebody who, you know, and go, well, actually, I've got a really good idea. All you need to do is get some money here because well, why would I do that? I've got countless other things I could be doing. But if you can get that clinical support and buy in and if you can put forward a compelling case, because actually we can transform the way things are done. We can drive an efficiency here. Then the effort of a salesperson comes to you know to supporting that and enabling that as much as they possibly can you know we have you have limited limited influence and limited control within you know within the organization walls but we can certainly provide you know insights thoughts and examples of what's happened elsewhere that you know can enable that yeah and i think and i think you know part of that is certainly the fact that you've got the backing of a very influential member of the team in that clinician first who are going to care most about improving patient care they just happen to have influence elsewhere and they'll probably help you with a lot of those finance discussions and procurement discussions if indeed they become your champion your advocate and i think that's the value in going to them first and i kind of like that of of even the the principles of sales in the fact that therefore the company the entrepreneur the individual whatever it is that's making the sale has to care about the quality of patient care going up. And that remains the most important incentive. And I, I'm glad that you said it that way around, to be perfectly honest, because I think that that drives ultimately, number one, the quality of patient care, which is where we all want to be. Um, and it keeps keeps us all able to sleep at night, which is absolutely ideal. Um, just not that well when we can't get the, the, the money out of the system to do something good. But... Um, Carl, it's been a pleasure having you on, my friend. Um, it's been great fun. I hope, I hope there's something of value hidden in there. If nothing else, those those four questions, the opportunity, can we compete, can we win, is it worth winning? I love that framework for, for thinking about sales, definitely, and, and certainly scale and, and acquiring contracts and growing a company. I think there's plenty in there for all the entrepreneurs listening in terms of the, the, the best people to go for, trying to make an NHS sale and all the rest of it and how to do it. But if people have any more questions and they want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to find you and reach you? 
LinkedIn is probably the easiest um, if you can get around the spelling of my surname, but I'm sure that'll be in the title of the podcast. So yeah, Absolutely. LinkedIn, LinkedIn's your best bet um, or um, yeah, first name dot surname at jointacademy.com. Excellent. Carl, thank you for coming on. My pleasure. Thank you, James. Perfect. Easy, mate. Easy. Look at that. Oh, Bang that? on time. Next okay. steps. We'll get this edited up. Probably go out in about cool. six weeks. Cool. That was perfect, man. That was absolutely yeah. ideal. Um, loved that. Really enjoy- I really enjoyed that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just such um, it's such specific value. It's so good because it's just conversations we don't have on uh, on any platform about say, selling stuff in healthcare. It's so just, necessary. It's so easy to neglect, and yeah. it's it's yeah. an afterthought. And I think you know. Yeah we didn't get to it but i think you know part of the challenge is that if you're a founder you're of a certain personality type you're probably quite bullish and confident you probably therefore believe that you're great at sales because it's your idea you know everything about it so you can go and do it but that's you know you're looking you're looking inward far too much you don't there's you're just totally. missing the process totally. and you know that totally. whole you know everything else that goes on there so it's given me I, a respect actually for that and and actually has made me think i should probably speak to well it's probably what you really didn't see before but speak to someone who knows a lot about sales to to talk about even how i sell us which is going very well our conversions are ridiculous but there's obviously still stuff you can learn yeah yeah absolutely and you know it's like anything you know learning's fun I mean, mm. certainly that's that's a conclusion i've arrived at yeah. and, you know having spent most of my 20s studying part-time whilst working full-time yeah, I've, yeah. I've got a real appreciation and a real enjoyment for nice learning nice and you know that's something that will never go away yeah definitely the, the master's is planned next i just need to excellent t's dot i's and excellent uh, hopefully get cracking with that so but I, I do a lot of reading and there are so many yeah. different schools of thoughts out there. You know, sales can be done a million and one different ways. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, like countless other professions can. Um, it's about finding the approach that works for you, for your market, for, you know, that, you know, absolutely mate. doesn't feel like a hard slog. That's, That's it. It. That is the other thing. That's I, it. Know, Getting comfortable I, with it. Enjoying it because mm-hmm. if you don't enjoy it and, you know, maybe, maybe I'm just, you know, very fortunate i'm very mm-hmm. fortunate maybe maybe i'm you know fortunate <laughs> to have got to a point no, to, got to, to have got to a level of confidence mm-hmm. where i can go or self self-assurity and go yeah yeah i'm going to do what i enjoy doing totally because i absolutely think that i can deliver value and enjoy doing yeah it. So yeah why would i am um, i'm right mate yeah exactly anyway a pleasure having you on and i will chat on some platform i'm sure in the next cheers james bye hey everyone thanks for listening and making it all the way to the end of this episode remember to subscribe rate us and leave a review and you can head to the description of this episode to follow me on all of my social media so you don't miss out on any of the latest health tech content